It's August 15th. I'm Brian Dean Wright, former CIA operations officer, and this is The Wright Report. Hey, good day to you, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to The Right Report, your daily news podcast. I've got a special brief for you this morning that is shaping America and the world. It's day two of our series on dirty green energy, or what many in the media otherwise call green, clean, or renewable energy. And we are exploring this stuff, ladies and gentlemen, because of one reason. Well, actually, 369 billion reasons That is the amount of money that Joe Biden and Congress spent last year to help spur what they call a green energy revolution, all to stop climate change. But of course, you and I, we're more skeptical, discerning people, shall we say. We want to know just how green, clean, or renewable this stuff really is, because we need to hold this stuff to the same standards of scrutiny that, well, we do with oil, gas, and coal. So yesterday we covered solar panels and we discovered that those are quite dirty with all those connections to concentration camps and cheating Chinese companies and dangerous chemicals that eventually leach into our groundwater. Well, today we switch gears to wind energy and boy, oh boy, is this stuff dirty. Let's get started. And we start this morning with a thought experiment. I want us to imagine that we are out in nature, say the plains of Iowa, Nebraska, or maybe the Columbia Gorge just east of Portland, Oregon. And as we look around us, we see not only nature, but windmills, holy smokes, wind turbines, thousands and thousands of wind turbines. Okay, well, let's imagine that the wind companies are installing a new one and we have a chance to inspect it, to see what it's made of, the bits and pieces Well, what you see before you, whether you be in Iowa or Oregon this morning, well, you see three main sections. We've got a tower, the blades, and something called the nacelle. That last part, the nacelle, that's the big piece that sits on top of the tower, and it houses the generator and the, the drivetrain, sort of the engine of this windy machine. So looking at these three sections, the general good news is that, well, at least the tower and the nacelle now, they actually don't have too many dirty green problems. For instance, unlike solar panels, these are mostly made in America or can be with pretty modest effort. But I should say that strictly speaking, there are still oil and gas products that make these machines run. For instance, the nacelles, those need a lot of oil and lubricants. And depending on the turbine, that could be quite a lot. Hundreds of gallons sometimes per turbine And it has to be swapped out like a car oil and car engine every year or, well, give or take. But unfortunately, this oil, it can leak. In the Columbia Gorge of Oregon that I just mentioned just a moment ago, well, there was a spill a couple years ago of 3,000 gallons of oil that prompted a major cleanup effort. A turbine had sprung a leak. Meanwhile, the towers and the blades, they require petroleum products too in the form of plastics. Finally, wind projects also require, well, as you'd imagine, a whole bunch of metal, which obviously have to be mined. And that includes things like steel and iron, copper and aluminum. The point is is this, folks. Wind turbines and the entire wind industry, it does not exist without the oil and gas industry, nor without the mining industry. 
And that's part of the story that's often left out, especially when we talk about the wind industry. But look, as important as that is, and it is, I want us to really now focus on the wind blades because those have some very dirty green problems. Here's why. And let's start with something that you might not know. Wind blades are designed to last upwards of 20 years or more, but they usually get replaced after well, about 10 years or so to be upgraded to bigger, more powerful designs. Although some actually come down sooner. You've probably seen uh, you know, a bunch of news reports of a wind turbine getting hit by lightning or wind farms in the Midwest getting hit by tornadoes. Sometimes they just sort of go haywire on their own, that nacelle or the part that's actually called a hub. But regardless, these blades can come flying off. And so you've got to take those damaged wind blades down or pick up the pieces. But that actually leaves us with a pickle, a dirty green pickle. Because what are we supposed to do with the old retired blades? Those things are huge. Let me give you just one example of this. General Electric's Haliad X-Blade is about the size of a football field in length. And remember, you have to have three of those on each tower with thousands or tens of thousands of towers. Well, my goodness, you have yourself a dirty green problem. A whole bunch of them, actually. And it has to do with not just the sheer numbers and the size of these blades. No, ladies and gentlemen, it has to do with how they are constructed. Let's dig into that. Blades have, generally speaking, three main materials inside of them, and that includes carbon fiber, fiberglass, and balsa wood. So the first two, carbon fiber and fiberglass, those are very energy intensive to make. You got to have a blast furnace, for example. And that means you are probably going to have to rely on coal or natural gas to make them. But I'll tell you, it's the balsa wood that we have to talk about, a very dirty problem. So you see, most of the world's balsa wood is concentrated in the countries of Ecuador and Peru, including the Ecuadorian Amazon. And demand for balsa wood for just a global supply of wind blades? Holy smokes, over the past 10 years, that has absolutely skyrocketed to such an extent that forests down there are being wiped out. Illegal loggers are even paying local villagers in some of these isolated South American communities, not in cash, but in booze and drugs. And that is destroying not only the forests, but the people there too. Now, to be fair, the wind energy, they know about this problem and they know that it is very dirty. In fact, they're working on new engineering solutions to reduce their balsa wood requirements. But for now, this green energy has a very dirty problem in the blades. But that's not the end of it. You see, those carbon fibers and the fiberglass are by design very strong. Plus, they're, they're all squished together and with glues and epoxies, and it makes those blades incredibly tough to break apart, which means that they can't yet be recycled. Again, to be fair, the wind industry knows this, and they know they've got a very dirty problem, and so too does the U.S. government, in fact. And they are all trying to find a solution, perhaps to pulverize them, burn them, crush them, melt them. They're looking at all those options. In fact, one company called Vestas, they recently claimed that they discovered some sort of chemical fancy way to do it, melt it down somehow. No details yet on the process or how quickly it can be scaled out, which means that for now, there is only one real solution for all the tens of thousands of old retired blades. You got to bury them. 
And wind companies are in places like Lake Mills, Iowa, Sioux Falls, South Dakota, Casper, Wyoming. All of those places are now full of special landfills just outside of city limits that have been turned into America's dirty green dumping ground. And that, my friends, will be those cities' dirty green legacies for, well, forever. Right? These blades don't decompose. They will sit there for eternity under 30 feet of dirt. And actually, speaking of dirt and dirty, we've got to talk about other stuff that gets buried because of these wind turbines. And that's dead birds. A lot. And I mean a lot of dead birds. Uh, But before we talk about our poor winged friends, let's take our first break of the morning. For my paid subscribers, make sure you go to writereport.substack.com. Get the resource and all the, the links for all the information that I'm sharing today and all this week. That's going to be good, I think, to send to family and friends as you're talking about dirty green energy. And for folks who aren't subscribers, well, you, you can be. Just head to writereport.substack.com and sign up. Just make sure you choose the monthly or yearly option that's best for your budget. In the meantime, enjoy the following messages from our sponsoring partners, remembering that if you don't hear my voice telling you about a product or service, then I do not endorse it. We'll be right back. Folks, if you're looking to diversify your investments, I have something for you to consider. It's called Masterworks. And here's what they do. They purchase modern art by famous creators like Picasso, and then they qualify it with the SEC and sell shares of that art to investors like us. Now, eventually, they sell that piece of art. It's called an exit. And then investors like you and me, we get a portion of the sale. And their record, it's pretty darn impressive. Last month, they had exits with returns of 10 to 35%. Now, this concept is relatively new, but not to the 780,000 members who have joined and invested. Meanwhile, Masterworks has also been written up in Forbes and Financial Times. And I'll tell you, read those articles because I did, and I decided that for my long-term investments, Masterworks fits. Now, will that be the case for you? Well, here's how you decide. Go to masterworks.art slash write report and you will get priority access for a personal interview with the staff and they will help you decide if masterworks fits for you so again go to masterworks.art slash write report that's w-r-i-g-h-t and as you sign up for that interview you can also read through their disclosures good stuff there at masterworks.art slash cd so all in all folks i think that you will be impressed with masterworks and what they offer to investors so again go to masterworks.art slash write report because at the end of the day i think you will be glad you did welcome back to the right report folks let's continue with our special brief this morning on dirty green energy with today's special focus on wind so getting back to our initial thought experiment Let's imagine that we are once again in that field in Iowa or those rolling hills in the Columbia Gorge in Oregon. And as we stand there, well, I should offer you a note of caution. Be very careful where you walk. Because, uh, well, this is the not-so-fun part of this brief where we have to talk about dead birds because those wind blades, when they spin, they kill birds. A lot of them. Now, good uh, data on this issue It can be a little tricky to come by, in part because counting dead birds, well, as it turns out, it's tricky business. That's because various varmints tend to treat these animals that fall to the ground as meals, picking them up and carrying them off for dinner 
well before a company or a scientist can count them. But there have been a couple studies on this issue that are pretty good. One's from Cornell University. For instance, they place the number of dead birds annually from wind turbines of upwards of 328,000. Meanwhile, the Associated Press puts the number closer to 600,000 a year killed, plus tens of thousands of bats, too. But as biologists have highlighted, it's not just the numbers, folks. It's the types of birds that are killed, too, that matter. If you lose small numbers of endangered birds, that has a big impact on the overall population. Let me just offer up one example. The mighty bald eagle. Yeah, the national bird of America. Last year, the wind company ASI Energy paid an $8 million fine for killing over 150 eagles in Wyoming and New Mexico. Now, this same company has killed countless more eagles at their wind farms in California, North Dakota, Colorado, Michigan, Arizona, and Illinois. But you might be wondering, wait a minute, how can a wind company possibly stop their wind blades from ever killing a bird? That seems like, I don't know, mission impossible. All right, well, there are some fancy tech gadgetry that some companies are trying to use to stop these birds from getting schwacked. There's even a chance that if you paint a wind turbine a certain color, that might help the birds avoid them. But the answer to this question is largely that wind companies cannot stop most birds from dying. It's just sort of the price of doing windy business. And here's the deal. The U.S. government, they know this too. And here's the incredible part. Wind companies are actually legally allowed to kill bald and golden eagles. Yes, America's national birds can be slaughtered by these wind outfits. Now, that is normally against the law, but not for these companies. The U.S. government actually issues them permits to kill a certain number of eagles every year. Now, in the case of ESI Energy, they were not fined because they actually killed eagles per se. They got fined because they didn't get enough permits to kill all the eagles that they eventually slaughtered. And that is why they had to pay a fine of $29,000 per dead eagle. Now, smart listeners like you might still be wondering, okay, well, that's bad. So stepping back, how many bald eagles are killed each year nationwide? Because that's pretty darn important. This country has been for decades working very hard to bring these animals back from extinction. In the 1960s, for example, there were fewer than 500 breeding pairs left. Well, the, the question of how many bald eagles are being killed, it is very important. But here's the thing. You are not allowed to know the answer. The U.S. government will not tell you. Last year, Fortune magazine did an expose on wind farms killing eagles, and they asked the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service for precise numbers or even ballpark numbers of dead eagles nationally. And they were told, sorry, that is sensitive law enforcement information, and you are not allowed to know it. In other words, classified. And that includes, by the way, golden eagles, right? There are even fewer golden eagles than bald and, frankly, no less worthy of our concern to know how many of those are being slaughtered by wind blades. But never mind. The U.S. government says that you are not allowed to know that information. Well, whatever the number is of dead eagles, folks, it's going to grow exponentially. 
The Biden administration has authorized or is supporting tens of thousands of new turbines to be installed all over the United States, including on federal lands uh, out west, which are home to some of the nation's most endangered birds, including eagles. Oh boy. All right. Look, so far in this thought experiment of ours, as we've been out in Iowa or out in Oregon, we have been on land uh, in a field or out in the Columbia Gorge, right? Well, Wind turbines and wind farms, they're being installed elsewhere, not just on land, but out in the oceans too. And boy, do we have some dirty green problems to talk about there as well. So let's imagine now that we are floating in a boat. You know what? No, let's make it a yacht. And as we soak up some sun, we see a wind company in their, well, yacht, and they float by us. And they are conducting a survey to check wind speeds and the depth of the ocean floor because there are two options for them to explore regarding wind projects. You can either jab a tower into the ocean floor and some cement foundations. Those are actually called fixed bottom towers, which are better than loose bottoms, I suppose. Or you can have floating wind turbines that sort of bobble around on the ocean surface. Now, with either option, these projects are massively expensive to build. And we'll talk about why in a moment. But the consequence is this, the electricity that they produce, it is two to three times as expensive as onshore wind farms, which of course may or may not be more expensive than natural gas or coal plants, of course, depending on subsidies. But all of that aside, why are these offshore wind projects so darn expensive? Well, first, remember that these wind blades, they're huge. And as it turns out, that requires a very specialized ship and a very well-trained crew to take them out to sea and install them. Unfortunately, though, America doesn't have any of those special ships for using those big blades. In fact, there are only four ships in the world that can handle the biggest of the big boy blades, and none of those are American flagged, meaning that we have to rely on foreign ships and foreign crews. Now, to be fair, there is one ship currently being built for $500 million. It's about halfway being done. And once it is completed, it will head to New York to install some projects out there. But as for all the other projects in America, well, we are going to have to rely on foreign operators. Although I should say maybe. And I say maybe because there's something called the Jones Act which is a law from the 1920s that limits foreign ships from moving cargo from one U.S. port to another U.S. port. And that is causing some trouble, right? Not enough ships that comply with that law to install wind projects. Now, that said, there are efforts by the Biden White House to sort of take care of that issue. But even the most charitable reading of the law means that America will, for years to come, rely on these foreign ships and these foreign crews for offshore wind farms. And that's not exactly good news for energy independence, both to build this stuff with foreign crews and to maintain it for years to come. By the way, speaking of foreign crews and energy independence, there is another national security concern that we need to talk about with these offshore projects. The U.S. military has recently warned the Biden White House that if Mr. Biden authorizes the development of wind farms off the East Coast, Well, that will jeopardize national security. And that's because off of the shores of North Carolina, Virginia, Maryland, and Delaware, 
Those are areas used by the Navy and Air Force for training operations, amongst other classified concerns. So developing those areas for offshore wind farms, that would slow, stop, or otherwise imperil those very important military operations. Again, I should say, to be fair, the Interior Department has vowed to work with the military to find a solution to this problem. But the point remains, these waters on both the East and West Coasts They may be remote, but people do use them for very important things. And that actually takes us to our next dirty green problem. These offshore wind projects, they are just as deadly as their onshore cousins for a whole wide variety of fish and birds. Now, how deadly exactly? Well, that is up for debate. As noted in a recent study published in the journal Nature, There are still considerable gaps in scientific knowledge about the ecological impacts of offshore wind turbines. So, if I could put this simply, these projects of offshore wind, well, they're just kind of like a science experiment in our oceans and, frankly, on these animals. For example, you've got the floating platforms, of course, and as those wind blades spin, that's going to kill some birds. Then you've got cables that run into the seabed. That's going to mess up a number of different animals. And you've got electric lines that are buried on the seafloor and run to the seashore. And scientists are trying to figure out if these things or some combination of these things might help explain a pretty shocking rise in the number of deaths of dead whales, especially along the eastern seaboard. Some scientists are saying, no, there's no connection, while others say, well, yes, or we don't know. Well, as that debate rages, there is no debate about what these things do to seabirds. They kill them, a lot of them. All right, consider this. There was a study done last spring in Europe's North Sea, and that is home to about 14 offshore wind farms and a lot of birds. One is called the red-throated loon. Well, what researchers found was that the loon population collapsed after those wind farms were built, collapsed by about 30% in the observed sites. Although in some of the sites that were closest to the turbines, My goodness, the loon colonies, those collapse by upwards of 94%. Now, to be fair, governments in Europe, Australia, and the Middle East, they have all acknowledged how deadly these things are for birds. And that is why they have either encouraged or told these offshore wind farm operators to shut down the spinning wind blades when the the birds uh, are especially migrating throughout that particular area. And that's good right? But it raises the question of reliability. Because remember, these things are being built to deliver electricity, and that is very hard to do if they're not working, which seems relevant, I think, and important to keep in mind as we talk about the pros and cons of this very dirty industry. With that, let's pause again for a moment. Let our minds rest with all these facts and data in our heads. Maybe listen to a message or two from a sponsoring partner, although not for my paid subscribers, of course, who are at writereport.substack.com. You have an ad-free experience, plus transcripts with sourcing for all the facts and data from today's show. Well, for everybody else, enjoy the following messages from our sponsoring partners, especially if I may, Wacker Coffee Company. (laughs) Love those guys. Anyway, great folks. We'll be right back. Welcome back to The Right Report and our special brief this morning on dirty green energy. 
Well, we got one more thing to talk about before we summarize and wrap up with my analysis and opinion. So let's talk about this fact. The entire purpose of these on and offshore wind farms is to provide clean, green energy to stop or address climate change, or at least that is the justification given by Joe Biden and folks who supported his $369 billion Inflation Reduction Act, which, just to refresh our memories, Mr. Biden has now acknowledged does not reduce inflation. But it does take us to our last problem with this dirty green revolution. And it has to do, folks, with something called global stilling. But to talk about it, we have to assume that there is actually a climate crisis. Now, I know that this is a contested belief, and I appreciate why. But for the sake of argument, let's assume that it is true and it is real that humans are putting too much carbon dioxide into the atmosphere and we are turning the planet into an oven or sometimes an icebox. I'm not sure, but it doesn't matter because climate change is real and it's true in this moment to assume it's for this next part. And that is, well, if climate change is in fact real, we got a problem. It's called global stilling. So to explain, let me ask you a question. Why does the earth have wind? What drives that process? Well, to put this very simply, what scientists and other fancy people will tell you is that it all comes down to differences of temperatures, especially cold temperatures at the poles, north and south, and warmer temperatures at the equator, right? That imbalance or difference of temperature causes wind on planet Earth. But as the planet heats up with climate change, the north and south poles, those heat up too. And that creates less of a temperature difference within the tropics or as compared to the tropics. And that will ultimately lead to less wind globally, or so says the International Panel on Climate Change. Okay, well, then that raises a question. Why exactly are we installing wind turbines onshore or offshore, right? Installing stuff that isn't going to work because of global stilling, well, that doesn't make a lot of sense, although I'll let you characterize that for yourselves. But it underlines the fatal flaw of wind energy. All right, folks, sometimes the wind doesn't blow. In fact, sometimes entire regions experience what is called a wind drought, where the wind doesn't blow for a long time. Northern Europe, for example, they experienced a pretty notable wind drought back in the year 2018, and it caused havoc for their energy supplies and force them to fire up their coal and natural gas plants, which seems problematic because not only is this stuff not green or clean or renewable, it's not exactly reliable either. And that should certainly be a part of the dirty green conversation. With that, ladies and gentlemen, we in today's presentation of facts and data related to the dirty green wind industry. Let me now pivot to my analysis and opinion on, my goodness, what to make about all of this. Well, I'll tell you, we covered a lot of ground today. We learned that, well, to build the towers and the blades and the nacelles, you are still going to need the oil and gas industry. You're also going to need the mining industry, too, for all the steel and copper. And as you do that, you're also going to need to chop down a pretty shocking number of balsa trees in South America which is sadly destroying the local environment, tribes, and citizens of that region. Speaking of, 
these wind farms are also destroying, slaughtering a whole bunch of animals. In Europe, the local loon population fell by over 90% in some cases. Meanwhile, in the United States, they're killing our national bird, the bald eagle, and lots of golden eagles too. Although, don't ask how many. That is classified. Shame on you for even asking. And that is what I would like to talk about before we depart this morning. The entire focus of this five-part series is to make sure that we scrutinize this dirty green stuff in the same way that we do with oil and gas and coal, traditional energy. But what we're being told this morning is that we can't actually, at least not with dead eagles. Now, I want you to imagine, ladies and gentlemen, if an oil tanker were to run aground or leak like the the Exxon Valdez from many years ago. And imagine as that disaster unfolded, the U.S. government were to tell us, no, you may not know how many dead birds or whales or whatever are dying because of all that oil that spilled out. Well, the outrage would be immediate and visceral and utterly righteous because darn tootin' we deserve to know the information to that. But why not when it comes to wind turbines? And why does the Biden White House and environmental community seem oddly quiet or muted when it comes to the deaths of animals with this dirty green industry? We're talking about 600,000 birds each year and rising. And why are these same groups seemingly so indifferent or willing to accept the destruction of federal lands that have been used for conservation or modest commercial use? Because those lands are now being destroyed, all for wind turbines, forever altered. And I want to put some numbers to this. And I'll tell you, this one's going to shock you. Joe Biden wants to put our economy uh, on a track to become carbon free by the year 2050. To do that, to build out enough solar farms and wind farms, you are going to have to develop enough land equal in size to five South Dakotas. Let me repeat that. To achieve Biden's climate change goals, the United States will need to develop five South Dakotas worth of land of solar and wind farms. That's according to analysis done by Princeton University and Bloomberg News. I want you to imagine that. Imagine the environmental destruction of five South Dakotas worth of land. The dead animals, the the farmland, the grazing pastures, gone. The destroyed balsa forests in South America, the landfills with all the wind blades. And oh, by the way, all of that destruction for a form of energy that isn't reliable and will become even less so because of global stilling. Folks, here's the point. There is no such thing as clean energy or green or renewable. It all has costs. And we have to be honest about that. Our media and politicians and environmental groups should be honest about that. But odds are they won't. Because this climate change movement is no longer about facts and data or logic and reason. And I'm going to share with you on Friday why that is and what this is really all about. But in the meantime, you and I, we're going to be honest about this. Here on The Right Report, we are going to explore the facts and data, no matter how dirty and inconvenient they may be. And if you subscribe and get the transcripts, you are going to have all of the sources that you need 
to engage with your family and friends and politicians on the very dirty green truth. With that, ladies and gentlemen, we conclude this morning's special episode of The Right Report. Join me tomorrow as we continue this five-part series focusing next on mining and batteries. As always, I will see you tomorrow, God willing. Until then, I leave you with the creed of every good spy and every wise American. They're the words from the Gospel of John, chapter 8, verse 32. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Good day.